Hello and welcome to The Found Cause, where we found our cause and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Michael the Man behind the machine, and to my right, your left is... Sebastian, the bookkeeper. And all the way over the airwaves, it's... Theodore, under the PC, under the person of Christ. You know, it occurs to me every time we do this, I think Sebastian is on your right, dear viewer, so um, I don't know. I, I don't know why I say that. It's flipped on my screen. That's why I say that. Uh, today, today... We have a broad topic that we're trying to isolate into one big topic, so forgive us if this gets a little off track, but there's something that has come up a lot in life, and we want to take a biblical examination of it. We had previously two episodes ago and done a biblical review of why Jesus takes on the wrath of God for us on our behalf. Um, so similarly, we're going to do kind of a broad Bible-driven uh, review of a topic, but this topic is testing the lord now testing the lord can mean a lot of can different i add things. to that yeah <laughs> sorry uh -huh. <laughs> i think uh, testing god testing prophets and prophecy and then discerning spirits yeah and that's can all kind of be related so that's that's exactly what this episode is going to break down so not just testing god but also testing if prophets are from god and testing if spirits are god or from god so that general test now, tests can also be used to mean um, like trying to prove out whether or not God's promise is true. Is it from God? So there's kind of that direction of, of testing God, like is, is, is this going to work out, God? Um, and then testing whether or not a spirit is truly from God. Which are, they all use the same word test, so they're related, um, but we're going to address both of them. That, that kind of thing is, again, pretty general. So hopefully we keep this uh, focused. But we're going to start with defining exactly what it is. So I guess we did a little bit as far as the Bible talks about some characters who put God to the test. Maybe we should use like one example for each thing. There's a pretty famous character, Gideon, mm -hmm. who gets a message from God. He knows it's from God because he hears it, he sees it, he witnesses it. Um, but how about you explain the story? And this is like putting God to the test. Yeah, and not not in a in a good way, you know, just yeah. trying to discern. It's like, oh, God is in front of me, and I don't, I'm doubting. And this is from Judges, Judges six. We've often seen how Israel has its ups and downs in this time period, rebelling against God, coming back to God. And God appoints judges every once in a while to bring back the Israelites to faithfulness towards Him. Such was the case with Gideon. I would even say that Gideon is approached by pre-incarnate Jesus himself. Mm -hmm. That's we talked. I think we've talked about it in another episode. But yeah, apparitions of Jesus in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. We we love it. Not the point to argue today. In this story, Gideon is approached by the angel of the Lord, and he starts doubting. The Lord says to him, "I will help you save." and deliver Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you, says the angel of the Lord. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. And again, for reference, if you're reading this on your own, this is Yahweh speaking. So it's not you know, some generic Lord is saying Yahweh is going to to wait for Gideon to come back and sacrifice, take the sacrifice. And then 
also later Gideon will be doubting the angel of the Lord again by after demolishing the statue asking you know make it rain don't make it rain over this or this uh, piece of cloth and and then later make it rain on this patch of of land here and not in the surroundings so we would I would say that this is someone who has seen the works of God and it's like God can you do something else to really prove that it's you that's what we're trying to get at that's putting the Lord to the test yes and we say that negatively because there is a law in Deuteronomy 6 which the Israelites were were testing God uh, they didn't and, and testing in this case means they did they did, weren't faithful to God they had heard the words of God they knew it was God they acknowledged God and yet they disobeyed God in that they were testing him to see if his word was actually true just like Adam and Eve tested the Lord in the garden this kind of test in Deuteronomy 6 it has a law against it. it says do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massah which is a place the Israelites rebelled against him uh, if the test of God comes out of faithlessness that truly in your heart you you do know it's God but you're wanting extra reassurances because you're not sure God is good that is a kind of test the Lord abhors so when we test God because we're we, we know it's God we know God is capable of doing the thing he said we know that he's promised a certain thing but we still want to test it because we don't trust his word is true, right? That's the kind of test that is really faithlessness and God abhors. And he says, do not test the Lord your God this way. And Jesus quotes this text, this Deuteronomy 6 test, when the devil says, throw yourself down off this temple because it's written that the Lord will send angels and they will carry you and not let your foot strike the stone so you won't even die. And Jesus quotes this verse from Deuteronomy to say, do not put the Lord your God to the test because Jesus knew God, knew his promises about him, and wasn't going to faithlessly have to reaffirm that God was going to uphold his promises for him, which would be testing God. So in that way, if you are receiving a vision or you hear a prophecy and somebody says, do not put the Lord your God to the test if you ask for a test, the only way that applies is if you already know that this is from God and you're just being faithful, you want to confirm that God will do what he's said. Um, but if you are not yet sure if it is actually God speaking, the test is totally valid. So that's a category of test is testing faithlessly because you don't have faith. Gideon, in this case, has been reaffirmed like three times. <laughs> that God is doing miracles. He's seen the Lord himself. He acknowledges him as the Lord, but he keeps wanting extra reassurance that, that the Lord is going to do this. I think ultimately, Gideon, in that passage, the, the ultimate thing that secures Gideon's trust in the Lord is that the Lord asks him to do something. He says, go and cut down your father's Asherah pole, this pagan worship pole, um, and then use it to build the altar for me. So Gideon does that, which takes bravery because the Asherah pole is the idol, right? They're going to be really mad when you destroy the idol, as, as would make sense. Um, and they do get really mad, and Gideon defends himself, and then don't kill him. So right there is the Lord proving himself in a way Gideon didn't even ask for. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think cements their relationship, God and Gideon together, and why Gideon ends up being a hero-ish, <laughs> at least a hero for his time? Um, and the Lord was patient with his faithlessness uh, in the beginning. So, yeah, that's, that's a category of test. And then there's the opposite side of the same coin, I would say, and it just came to mind. Isaiah 7, in which the Lord spoke to King Ahaz, ask for a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol, or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will 
not put the Lord to the test. And he, Yahweh, said, or Isaiah, excuse me, Hear then, house of David, is it too little for you to weary men, that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. And it goes on, even with the virgin will conceive. And it will be called Emmanuel. But anyway, the point is, this guy is being told by God, ask for a sign, and then hypocritically says, oh, who am I to test the Lord? Right. So, it looks in, it has different looks and... Actually, that's actually put ironically not asking a question or a request is putting God to the test right and similarly I mean yeah it is on the flip side of the coin because here Gideon was asking for too many tests but at least he believed that God could do those things Ahab wanted an excuse not to trust God and therefore didn't want God's power to be witnessed because he didn't want to have it all confirmed that God was totally able to to deliver him and he just wasn't going to Ahab wasn't going to God um, so in that way that was wrong in the same way Jehu who kills Ahab, I'm very related here, Jehu is appointed by God to do this, and he rides in, he takes over the kingship of Israel, he has Jezebel put to death. Um, the prophet that is telling um, Jehu to do this and that it's going to happen gives him an arrow and says, throw it down to the ground and test to the Lord. And so Jehu throws it down, and the prophet just keeps staring at him, so he takes it up and he throws it again, and the prophet just keeps staring at him, so he does it four times, and then he stops, and then the prophet goes, oh, if you had done it more times, the Lord would have blessed your generations as many times as you threw the arrow down, but now your house is only going to last for four generations. Um, weird, yeah. Um, testing the Lord in a way, right? Because you're, you're, you're doing a thing that the Lord told you to do, and you keep doing it even when you don't see results. Um, in this way, Jay, it was a test of Jehu's faith, and Jehu had four arrows worth of faith, which is a decent amount of faith, honestly. Like, it's kind of a weird thing to do, right? Um, purposefully so. So all, all these, are, these are ways the Lord is test, uh, asks us to test him um, and ways we should not test him. I'm going to pivot here because one of the biggest questions that we ourselves face and people back in the day faced um, wasn't a personal test necessarily. It was a test of somebody else saying that they had heard from the Lord because often we are not going to be the lucky one, you know, the one out of 20,000, one out of 1 million that hears a word of the Lord ourselves. We will hear somebody else saying that they have a word for the Lord. And sometimes those are valid words from a real prophet, and often they are totally invalid words from a false prophet. And so another test of a prophet, which you could say is testing the Lord, and prophets typically say, if they're really carrying the Lord's word, they're saying, don't don't doubt me, right? Like, I, I actually carry the word of the Lord, and therefore, if you question me, you're really questioning God. Mm-hmm. Um, that's valid, but false prophets also say, don't test the Lord. Don't, uh, don't speak badly about the Lord's anointed. They say all those kind of things, um, because they don't want you to question their word because it's false. And so the Lord himself does not say that you shouldn't test prophets. In fact, in Deuteronomy 18, it says this, if what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that message the Lord has not spoken. That prophet has spoken presumptuously, so do not be alarmed. So the Lord fully expects us to pay attention to what so-called prophets say and to see if they actually take place, if they're consistent with the rest of God's word, if they sound like God, right? Those things are very important for how we test prophets if we, so that we can know if it's even from God because people who are speaking falsely, presumptuously, 
shouldn't not just be alarmed or, or feared. You know, you shouldn't not just pay attention to them, but actually God's law would say you should stone them. Like it's an evil thing that's happening. So if it's a brother in Christ that's doing this to you in church, that is a false prophecy for you, they should be fiercely rebuked, right? It's not a, it's not a uh-oh, and we've talked about this in the podcast before. It's not an uh-oh, slight error. Um, it is a excommunicatable, fervent forgiveness, death penalty worthy sin. And so those who use the excuse of do not test the Lord when they give you a prophecy are directly refuting the command of the Lord to test prophets in this way. So we, we talked about don't testing the Lord just so that we could disarm that excuse of false prophets and teachers everywhere that say, don't lay a hand on the Lord's anointed, don't test the Lord when they speak false prophecy. You have to test the Lord in these cases because it's usually not from the Lord. And if it is from the Lord, he's going to make it plain, right? As he did to Jehu, to Gideon, to Jesus, to to anybody who needed their witness proven. Mm -hmm, Precisely. Yeah. And we could go on. I think you've got some scriptures too about um, testing the Lord and discerning spirits specifically, Theodore. I've got them pulled up too, but you may have some. Yeah. Um, Yes. Good one to start with. First uh, John 4, yeah, 1 to 3. that's what I'm looking at. Okay. It says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false spirits have gone out into the world, by this you will know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses the, that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that is that it is coming and now it is already in the world now i think there's this and maybe one or two others it's not this is not a like a completely general statement that just because somebody confesses jesus christ has come in the flesh does not necessarily mean they're from god it's more so addressing something specific right like uh, gnosticism or docetism or something like that Mm -hmm. Guys would know that better. And, and first john is also filled with these kind of um general sweeping statements that aren't meant to be taken um line by line literally um because he also he follows up this exact paragraph with um you your children who are from god who are from god and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world they they the false prophets are from the world and speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them we are from god and whoever knows god listens to us but whoever is not from god does not listen to us this is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood so here he gives another this is the way we do it statement about recognizing spirits and he says that this it's it's who listens to us the apostles to the scriptures right um those the people who are from god and those who don't are false so in that way he, he caveats his first statement where he says any any spirit, every spirit that acknowledges Jesus Christ has come in the flesh and also listens to us is from God, right? So in this way, he's building things, um, tests for spirits. Yes, a big assumption that Christians should have going in is that God has the capacity to be consistent in his message and speak clearly to creation. Otherwise, why worship him? Okay, that's, this, that's a different kind of apologetics, but... Again, we're coming into the Bible assuming that God is consistent. He can communicate, has communicated, and has a good message to give and is also worthy of worship. All these things put together. And with that in mind, yes, that's why the apostle has the authority to speak with a consistent message from God. I have authority to speak on behalf of God. 
write this letter to the church in uh, whether he was in Ephesus or Smyrna at this point or mm -hmm. Patmos and that is why we can take it as authoritative I just wanted to mention that because when we say well, what about Joseph Smith or someone else who claims to speak on behalf of Yahweh mm -hmm. Why are you taking You're John seriously? <laughs> I know. Hold, yeah, hold, hold on to your seats for that. That's going to be interesting. But why take the Apostle John seriously? And why, for example, doubt Joseph Smith or the Prophet Muhammad, which I'll talk about later too. Yep. I think also importantly here, it, some will ask, who the heck is hearing spirits these days? Um, this is not important. I never have to test prophets. It's super unimportant. I'll never have to use this. Um, well, you're, you're wrong. You might not hear a spirit. Like we said, you might not be the one in a million who hears a spirit. Totally understand that. I don't think you probably will be. And your average run-of-the-mill person isn't going to hear a ton of prophecy. But you'd be surprised what kind of prophetic claims people claim in your everyday suburban American life, let alone overseas or in the cities or wherever else where spiritual activity is a little more active. Um, clearly, the Bible is concerned. Even the New Testament is concerned about false spirits, false prophecy. So even if you don't think that you will ever encounter a false spirit directly, you may encounter their work via false prophets or false teachings that you hear in the church or elsewhere. And so the Bible warns you, it says, do not believe every spirit for false prophets have gone out into the world. And this is not the only text. First John is not the only guy warning about it. Jesus, of course, warns about false prophets, um, but there's also lines from Second Corinthians. And maybe you want to speak to that, Theodore, if you have sure. Otherwise, I've got him. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Um, <clears throat> I am afraid as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit which you have not received from us, or a different gospel which you have uh, not accepted, you bear this beautifully, which is not good. Um, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. So again, another clear warning from the Apostle Paul there, that is that if anybody comes proclaiming, even if they say they're proclaiming Jesus, they say they're from God, the same God that we worship. You know, false prophets are easy to spot if they say they're speaking on behalf of Buddha or of the flying spaghetti monster or somebody that we know we already don't believe in and they must be a false prophet. But that's why they don't typically do that, especially in Christian countries. They'll say they're speaking on behalf of God, the God we all recognize. They're speaking on the behalf of Jesus, the Jesus we all recognize. But they'll say things about Jesus that he's different than you think. He's different than you have learned. I have a different gospel for you. I've got a different spirit. I've got a different Jesus. Those are false prophets. And here he's speaking directly to that. And he says, no wonder, as you go to Theodore, no wonder for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. And so his servants do too. And the false prophets are trying to masquerade as apostles of Christ. So anybody claiming to be an apostle of Christ today Anybody that's claiming to have seen an angel of light tell them a vision, anybody that is saying that they are a servant of righteousness, but they're preaching a different gospel, a different Jesus, a different spirit, they are false. They are from either Satan himself or they're from Satan, right? Satan is very good at masquerading himself. So it shouldn't be surprising to us that those who say they see they have seen visions of beautiful, angelic God or, or angel coming down to them. Um, have totally different gospels and that it wasn't a, a devil with a pitchfork and 
menacing organ music in the background telling these things because Satan is good at lying. And so he's going to lie well. And so, again, we, we should not be deceived by those who say they saw an angel of light deliver something and thinking it's true when it is contrary to the gospel. Yes, unfortunately, Satan likes to act that way, trying to either seduce, entice, bribe, instead of intimidation, straight up intimidation, because masquerading is a very excellent way of coming in. Aren't, aren't even false prophets called wolves in sheep's clothing? Mm -hmm. You look innocent on the outside, so that that allows you to come in, to come into the group and then infiltrate that. Yep. So, do you have other verses, Theodore, for like the warnings of false prophets or how to discern false prophets or spirits? I don't. Oh, even like how to discern? Yeah. I don't know if you have other, like I've got, I've run through the scripture I pulled up. Well, uh, First Thessalonians 5, 17 to 24. Uh, maybe I'll do that one after. I'll say First Corinthians 2 or 12, verse 10. Um, this is talking about the spiritual gifts being given to the body of Christ and every, um, every person is an, another member of the body. Somebody's a hand, arm, foot, whatever. Um, it says to another, uh, the effecting of miracles to another, a uh, gifted prophecy and to another, the distinguishing of spirits to another, various kinds of tongues and to another, the interpretation of tongues. And this is to say that um, the Holy Spirit gives um, of his own will. So it's not necessarily us trying to um, conjure up something in ourselves to be able to do such a thing. Mm -hmm. It's a gift. These things are gifts of the Holy Spirit. Um, and 1 Corinthians 14 says pursue love yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts especially that you may prophesy now two verses later it clarifies what is prophecy um, but one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation um and then uh later in that chapter uh that was verse three and then verse 29 it's let two or three prophets this is um, an exhortation to uh, be orderly um, in service mm -hmm. the church. Um, let two or three prophesy and let the others judge or weigh or evaluate what is said. So I don't think this is necessarily um, like back in the day when a prophet would prophesy and then if he's false or preaches another god, mm -hmm. then you stone him right away. I think this is probably more speaking of people who are presumptuously um, speaking words over others in the congregation um, that that's just presumptuous talk and then the others maybe need to weigh what is said not necessarily to stone them but it, for consideration um I guess they're probably not saying, thus says the Lord, but maybe they have, they believe, they think they're having a word of edification or exhortation, something like that. Does yeah, that I, I think it totally depends on how those prophets spoke. 
Um, and there are a lot of different weird takes because cessationism is a thing and how many people have been burned by weird spiritual gift movements in the United States and elsewhere. Um, a lot of people take these texts differently. Um, I would be of the opinion that prophecy is just as it sounds, prophecy, i.e. it is a word from God. Um, it means something for your future. It, like it, it means something legitimate, like, like Paul says, it's meant for the edification or consolation of you. It's not just blank words for future generations or um, meaningless words that sound cool to edify the prophet. It's supposed to be edifying to the person who receives it. And therefore, for orderly worship, like you were just mentioning, Theodore, if people are prophesying over others or publicly in the church, whatever, there should only be a couple because the Lord's Lord of order. And if there's a billion of them, it's probably not from the Lord, right? There's probably something freaky going on. Um, and then two, let the let the congregation or the elders decide whether or not these prophecies are true. And if they are untrue, I mean, let the reader discern what you do with untrue prophets. Um, but certainly there should be some sort of correction and nullification of the prophecy that was said, right? And that's super plain, right? It's, it's direct teaching exactly about this. So it should speak, I think, to cessationists who say there's no prophecy. Weird that then Paul would be talking about having a prophecy correctly and that you should, you should desire it. But then vice versa, for those who are all about prophecy and thinking you can earn, like it's just another merit badge you can get and every Christian should be able to prophesy, it's only one of the spiritual gifts that are given to some people mm -hmm. um, and, and rarely, and it's some high honor. So you'd think it would be rare. And eventually it will cease. As Paul says in his letters to Corinthians, well, yeah, but love will remain. So, in, so all that goes to say is let's not brag about it, yes. and also let's not just completely like shove it down the trash can because you don't. Some people abuse it, and a, a verse come did come to mind, and I think this will be relevant to the next sections as we get later on from Second Peter, one, and then Second Peter two. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Tying into a theater. Quoted. And now chapter 2. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false prophets among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. So, this was a problem in the early church, and it's a problem to this very day, all throughout, all in between too. So let's talk about today. So we've talked about... <laughs> the excuse that people give about saying don't test the Lord and what the context is there and that is don't faithlessly test the Lord when you know it's the Lord. We've then talked about the the request that you do test the Lord um, from God himself and from the tests of a prophet and of spirits throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament explicitly. Let's talk about how it's relevant to us today. Again, maybe you're sitting at home questioning if it's relevant to us today. Let's talk about how it totally is. I think if you are a uh, alive in the church area for any longer than a year or two, you are going to encounter this. <laughs> so for those who don't think they've encountered it, maybe you just don't realize you've encountered it. Let's start with the really obvious false prophets. You want to start with Muhammad? Oh, yeah. Maybe not obvious to everyone, but obvious to Christians. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so in summary, in Islam, we've done other episodes on Islam. So more, for more details, please refer to that. Muhammad, an Arabian man from the western part of Arabia, Hejaz, Mecca, Medina area, Yathrib, 
believed that he had gotten revelation from God while he was in a cave from the angel Gabriel. And he believed that this was new instruction. He thought that this was tied into the Old and New Testament, the Gospels and the Torah, as he calls it in, in Arabic. And he began preaching these new revelations that he was getting from the angel Gabriel, as he said himself, to his immediate relatives, his friends, and eventually expanded, formed a united tribe. I'm summarizing here. And then his movement would eventually conquer all of Arabia, united, defeat the Roman Empire and the Persian Empire, and establish Islam as a major religion. It's a really big overview. But now tying into the way Muhammad talked about God. So he claims he spoke with the angel Gabriel. That will be the same angel that told Mary, supposedly, mm -hmm. that she would conceive and carry the Messiah, Jesus, right? So discernibly an angel of light, or at least appeared to be an angel of light. Mm -hmm. So it's not some random made up. Okay, <laughs> we'll get to that. It's not some strange named angel, like in some fan fiction from the Old Testament times, like right. uh, the Book of Enoch. But this is supposedly a famous angel that everyone would have recognized in the he he Jewish world and Christian world in the year of uh, 600, more or less, more or less. And the problem with Muhammad was that, first, first of all, he became suicidal. This is recorded in the Hadith. I don't think in the Quran, but for sure in the Hadith, that he wanted to hurl himself off a cliff after receiving this revelation. Mm -hmm. And the angel Gabriel forced him to read, like started choking him violently and told him, read, like recite the revelation. In my experience, I have yet to see an angel of Yahweh or Yahweh himself, like shake someone violently, giving him convulsions and then adding insult to injury. He starts saying that from the shortest chapters in the Quran that say this is true monotheism, O Prophet of Allah. Allah, I'm trying to translate from Arabic, Allah is one, say he is just one and one alone. He neither begets nor was begotten, clear reference to Christianity. Oh, and in another chapter of the Quran, don't say three, do not commit excess, O people of the book, Christians and Jews, mostly Christians, and do not did Jesus ever say, attribute deity to me? No. People of the book don't consider the son, the mother, the father as deities. So again, clearly trying to get to the, to the Christian belief of the Trinity. And we can also start talking about the, the benefits that he was getting from these revelations, like getting the privilege of marrying the wife of his adopted son. Yep. conveniently after Allah told them oh you get to marry this woman now seems very convenient we're going to see a pattern in other false prophets later as Theodore will get to that and when he was actually put to the test unlike other prophets of God like Isaiah, Elijah, Elisha or Jeremiah at his pretty much close to his death Muhammad leads or his warriors lead an expedition against this Jewish majority town, Kaibar, ma massacres the whole town, the men mostly, this, and takes one of the Hebrew women as a servant, a concubine. And then the woman says, okay, I'm going to test to see if he's truly a prophet of God. I'm going to poison the food that I'm going to give to him. So then she serves the food. Muhammad and his companions eat it. Some start to feel not very well. One of them dies eventually from the poison. And then Muhammad realized, oh, this is, after eating it, this is poisoned. 
stop it, everybody, don't eat it. Well, too late because his companion is going to die and he is going to suffer um, uh, permanent scarring in his esophagus from having eaten that uh, poisoned lamb and then eventually asked the Jewish one, why do you do this? I did it to say if you were a prophet of God, if you were really from God, you would have known that this was poisoned. And if you're not from God, you would have eaten it, which you did. So <laughs> <laughs> there's some lock solid uh, logic right there. Uh, yes. And also Muhammad prophesied early in his life, in, I think it's the Hadith, I think it's the Quran, that a false prophet will have his aorta slit and he would complain later in his life after being poisoned. It's like, oh my goodness, the pain I have from Kaibar feels like someone's like slicing my own aorta. I mean, kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy right there. Yeah. So what if you checklist, if you are in Muhammad's day and you're trying to discern if this guy really saw an angel from God or if this is one of Satan's servants masquerading, you'd look, is it the same spirit of God? Is that the same demeanor as God? And clearly... Gabriel is choking Muhammad, Muhammad is suicidal, and Muhammad is self-aggrandizing. That is not the same spirit. Two, he preaches a different Jesus, because they can never help themselves, preaches a different Jesus, says Jesus is not God, says the Trinity is not God. That's another checkbox there. Salvation by works. And salvation by works, that you're saved by your works. Again, a different gospel. So now we have a different Jesus, a different gospel, a different spirit. That is a false prophet through and through. Not to mention some of the dubious prophecies that Muhammad made that didn't come to pass and his untimely death, all the rest point Muhammad, definite, definitive false prophet, fails on every measure the test of a false prophet. The claimed angel that he saw? Demon. Okay? So so close the book on that one. I understand that Muslims are still around today, so I'm not saying that this is the definitive defeat of Muslims, but if you are a Christian or a God-fearer out there, it is not hard to discern here that Muhammad is a false Messiah, because his words are not consistent with the Bible and his spirit is not consistent with the spirit of God. And please don't take it from us. He claimed, look into the Gospels, the Injil and the Torah, and you will find me there and you will find my message there. So even disregarding the poisoning, the many slaves that he got and power choking and, and choking, yeah. yes, and strange revelation, he said, look into the scriptures and you'll find me. He's not there. Yep. So... There are many false prophets that don't even claim to be worshiping the same God, like the Buddhists or other such pagan movements. So disregarding them, because obviously they're preaching a different God, a different spirit, a different Christ, a different gospel. Let's go to those who claim to be preaching the same God, maybe closer to home, like Mormonism. Do you want to take this one out, Theodore? Uh, very close to home. Mm-hmm. So uh, I really want to do an episode asking a Mormon or a couple Mormons... Uh, on our podcast about John 1. Like, we could just have a discussion on John chapter 1, specifically verse 1, specifically 1 to 3, and then maybe some other stuff, but I think that'd be really interesting because that's one part where Joseph Smith re reinterprets, um, rewrites, um, in order to match his modern theology. Hmm. Um, but... So I'll start off this way. Uh, Mormon missionaries <laughs> ask you to, whatever they come to your door, they ask you to read and pray about the Book of Mormon. But if you know God, if you know the Bible, if you're a mature Christian, after reading a certain few verses from the Book of Mormon, you'll already discern that it's deceptive and spiritually destructive. Um, and if you continue to pray about it because missionaries keep asking you to do so, and it 
and they want you to experience something or tell them that you feel something, you will then be testing God and at risk of God giving you over to your disobedience. Um, and then something really interesting, uh, <laughs> a revelation right in their scriptures, uh, Doctrine and Covenants 129, none of them will deny this. Um, if you go on their website, the overview is instructions given by Joseph Smith, the prophet at Nauvoo, Illinois, February 9, 1843, making known three grand keys by which the correct nature of ministering angels and spirits may be distinguished. It's only nine verses, so I'll just read that. Um, starting verse one, there are two kinds of beings in heaven, namely angels who are resurrected personages having bodies of flesh and bones. For instance, Jesus said, handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. Secondly, the spirits of just men uh, made perfect, they are not resurrected. Uh, they who are not resurrected, but inherit the same glory. When a messenger comes, saying he has a message from God, offer him your hand and request him to shake hands with you. If he be an angel, he will do so, and you will feel his hand. If he be the spirit of a just man made perfect, he will come in his glory, uh, for that is the only way he can appear. Ask him to shake hands with you, but he will not move, because it is contrary to the order of heaven for a just man to deceive, but he will still deliver his message. If it be the devil as an angel of light, when you ask him to shake hands, he will offer you his hand, <laughs> and you will not feel anything. Uh, you may therefore detect him. Uh, <laughs> these are the three grand keys, whereby you may know whether any, admin admin ad any administration is from God. Okay, so I brought this up to a, a multi-generational multi Mormon who I've been chatting with for a while. And this guy says that um, if an angel of light uh, that look, or an angel that looks as if it's clothed in light comes to you, you know it's an angel of light if you reach out your hand and they try to shake your hand because apparently um, it's their doctrine that the devils and demons don't have bodies and they can't interact with the human body. Um, but I let Dave know that his scripture says in verse 7 here uh, that a just man wouldn't shake his hand anyway, but would only deliver his message. So a devil, a devil could easily deceive by giving their message and leaving just the same as a just man would. Dave, uh, Dave the Mormon uh, then supposed he would ask the angel more questions, which shows he acknowledges uh, Doctrine and Covenants 129 is pointless and ridiculous. Uh, nonetheless, he Ooh. said he would ask the angel to shake his hand, then why he came, uh, who sent him, how does he feel about Jesus Christ, what his message is intended to do for him and others, then obviously a bad angel. To answer that, uh, he came to deliver a message and was sent from God and knows that Jesus is the Christ because even demons believe but tremble and they're just disobedient. Um, and he could say his message uh, that he intended to br or that he intended to bring knowledge to uh, Dave or anyone else to free him from ignorance and exalt him or something like that. Um, yeah, so that was a... <laughs> 
just a long example of an explicit uh, point in the Mormon scriptures uh, that are telling you how to discern a spirit. But this is completely baseless and obviously comes from Joseph Smith, an 1800s man, treasure digging boy, deceiver himself. Um, well, and you should probably justify, and, we've done like endless videos on Mormonism. So to those who aren't aware, Joseph Smith, 1800s boy, as he called him, because he was a boy when he received a vision, a vision of a spirit, an angel of light, Moroni, who terrified him. He felt choked. He couldn't speak. There's a couple different versions of the first division is what this is called. So not all first division accounts will align because Joseph Smith is a liar. And so he lied about his first vision several times. And the one you see in a Book of Mormon is a third revision of his first vision. Some, some would even shrink that or grow it, but whatever. Um, some accounts of his first vision say that he felt choked. Do you very, say choking? Very similar to Muhammad, uh, but clearly not a peaceful visit from Moroni. Um, but it's an angel of light nonetheless, so we want to test, right? If you were a Christian and you were experiencing a vision of an angel of light, you need to immediately go into test mode, right? Because you know that deceiving spirits are wise and they're able to do this kind of thing to deceive you. They look good, but they're actually bad. Um, the test that the Bible gives us, as we've already discussed, is... Is it the same spirit? So it's coming in good peace. Is it the same Jesus they're preaching? And is it the same gospel? Well, this angel points Joseph Smith to a hidden revelation in his backyard um, that has the truth of, of the scriptures and things that have been missing from the church forever. Huge red flag, right? It's already sounding like a different gospel because it's something that's been missing, right? Equally teaches him that Jesus, I mean, Moroni doesn't directly, but the, the scriptures that he sees, these spiritual scriptures, the Book of Mormon, um, teach Joseph that Jesus came to the Americas and that eventually Joseph is a prophet himself and that he uh, will be exalted like Jesus one day and that Jesus is really just an exalted man. Um, he's God, but not the God. And so that's a different Jesus. And a totally different spirit, because as we know, notoriously, Joseph Smith was a womanizer. He stole people's wives um, on behest of God. He, he had many wives. Um, not the same spirit as God. Also, you say he fabricated the whole Egyptian like book of the dead? Oh, right. He's a liar. And he had, false, he had, had prophecies that did not come true. He acknowledged they did not come true and then said they were from Satan. That would be the definition of a false prophet is prophecies that don't come true. Plus, he's given a different gospel. This was a false vision. So he may have been lying about seeing the vision. But even if he really did see an angel of light, it was a lying angel. Um, and as you just pointed out, Theodore, they don't use biblical definitions of how to discern angels because he would fail them. They give a really bad test of angels because it's really easy to deceive you even within that test. Like you said, an angel. I'm not convinced that demons can't touch your hand but even if they couldn't they could claim that they can't because they are righteous even within the the mormon framework so it's a completely useless test we should use right. the biblical test which joseph smith fails and i also wanted to point out something with their prophets uh because that's that's one way of testing joseph smith the og mormon prophet and mm -hmm. his scriptures but then also uh they believe that they, they always have current uh mm -hmm. living prophets so um, well, yeah, but I just wanted to also point out this, this guy who is seemingly a very faithful Mormon, as was three, four generations before him. Um, if you would ask him or others 
a few questions like, uh, did he get the shot uh, one, two, or three years ago? Um, or if he's vegeta uh, vegetarian, except during winter or famine, and he says no, then he's explicitly disobeying the direction of the supposed prophet. Um, because their prophets give direction, and it's, I don't know, it's interesting to me because it doesn't seem like they actually revere their prophet as a prophet of God. They seem to see him more just like a president of an organization, which I would say that's exactly what he is. And we've we've had Mormons on the podcast before, like, so you can go back and reference when we had this three more missionaries in the podcast, and they explicitly said that it's the prophet's only correct as long as the prophet is correct right now. And so you are safe and and righteous if you obey what the prophet says right now, even if the prophet is incorrect and will later be corrected by future prophets. Um, you're still right to follow him, so you should always follow the prophet, which, of course, begs the question. In fact, it proves the question that the prophet can and has been wrong in the past because there's plenty of evidence of prophets contradicting themselves, um, either within their own prophethood or the next prophet contradicts them. And so when you are a Mormon listening to these prophets, you don't know that you're listening to the word of God. You could absolutely be listening to the word of men, which fails. And no, in the Bible, you are not protected for listening to the words of men. Like the words of men are just the words of men. They're not true. And so they're, they're bad for you. You should not listen to them. Um, Anyways, we've already discussed that the Joseph Smith fails the test of false prophet. His angel appearance has all the signs of a false angel visit, uh, a demon visit. And the modern day prophets, like you're suggesting, Theodore, are also um, false prophets. They, they also failed the test. See, and unlike in Mormonism, the test for seeing if a message is truly from God, I just remember from Acts 17 from the Bereans, we've talked about it many times. Now, these Jews were more noble than those of Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And it was good. So God, okay, for context, God took the time, whose God is the author of the Bible, I would say even Mormons would say that, probably, mm -hmm. I hope so. And I don't know if he says anymore, that's why I say that. And God took the time to highlight- Well, I think they would say he, sorry. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. He authored the Bible, but humans uh, have corrupted, severely corrupted it and poorly taught it and whatnot. Yeah, which is why he had to retranslate John yeah. 1 and plenty of other things. Got it. Like Muslims. Okay. Excellent. We would say as Christians, God has a consistent message. He's capable of communicating. And he took the time to make this example of the Bereans to show us like, okay, you're hearing a new message from Paul and Silas and the Jews the right thing to do at that moment is let's pick up our Bible and see if what you're telling us is consistent with what God has pre previously revealed. That's our standard even today. Yep. And the Mormons and the Muslims, the prophet, the leadership, I mean, the, the apostles and prophet Muhammad failed the test by their own standards. Yeah. And, and that example, along with all the fact that the Bible asks you to test, should all the more hammer home the point that those who say they have a message and then they get extremely mad when you question that message are not from God. I understand that Elijah and the prophets, the true prophets of the Bible, got mad when people disregarded their prophecies, but it was mostly because their prophecies came true and that they still disregarded it and these people hated God. 
they had all sorts of signs and wonders to prove their their prophethood and of course the actual prophecies came true so like they hit all the signs that a prophet needs to prove to prove themselves when modern day or past prophets like Muhammad or Joseph Smith or current prophets say something and you question it and you go to the Bible, they get really mad because you're about to discover that they are false prophets, right? So that's why they get mad. They don't want you to look in the Bible. They want you to be afraid of them and stop looking and eventually believe them or at least be discredited in front of their people. And so if you have a so-called prophet that will not go to the Bible or gets mad when you question them or ask questions from the Bible, that's a huge warning sign that they are, in fact, a false prophet. And I'll even point this out for authoritative movements like the Roman Catholic Church or the Eastern Orthodox Church. When they get afraid of you reading the Bible, big warning sign, right, of false prophethood that they have things that they are claiming are from God. They have tradition that they're claiming is from God, that they claim has always been around, or maybe they've heard from the from God as the vicar of Christ or whatever, and then you, you question them with the Bible, they get extremely mad and say, how dare you test the Lord, test the Lord's anointed. You question the authority of the church. You're not obeying your elders. That kind of behavior is not biblical. So as much as we respect our elders and authority and we shouldn't test the Lord, remember what testing the Lord means and remember who your elders are. It's not the Pope. It's not the authority of the so-called church or the apostolic super, super original church or whatever they want to call themselves, right? The, they act like false prophets. I think what smells like a false prophet is a false prophet. Very unfortunate and actually relevant to what the Pope just uh, gave in a very ambiguous statement. Yeah, today, for your for, to date this podcast, the Pope uh, put out a statement officially endorsing the blessing of same-sex marriages, of which all conservative Roman Catholics pulled out their hair simultaneously and said, ah, it can't be, um, and they're coming up with all sorts of excuses. But just another sign that the man is not the vicar of Christ. He is, in fact, a false prophet. Uh Let's talk, I think, this one will hit closest to home for us Protestants. It's easy to point and laugh at Mormonism or at Muslims or at people of the deep past like Gideon, um, but hits a little closer to home when we look at fellow Protestants who some I, I would say are generally saved that fall into these deep, deep deceptions of false spirits, false prophets, false wisdom. Pentecostals are the most notorious of this. Not that they are the only Protestants that fall into false prophecy, because there are many, but the vast majority and the biggest headline-making Christians that have false prophets in their ranks are definitely the Pentecostal movement because of how focused on works and emotion they are and how new usually they are as Christians. They're not usually long-time Christians. And Theodore, you've had some experience with groups that give like words of the Lord. I think that's probably like the baby's first entrance into the Pentecostal movement is people having words for the Lord for you, whether it's in Bible studies or just in groups in general. I've experienced people having words of the Lord in my, like, have given them to my family um, or to me specifically, or they've told our church that there's a word from the Lord. What's our take on words from the Lord? Uh, to judge, examine, <laughs> and weigh them. Yeah. Like that, I, I, with scripture mm -hmm. and with your own personal witness yeah. of the Holy Spirit. Yep. And I, I ask that because some people's reactions to words of the Lord are, those don't come anymore. Okay, I get where you're coming from. I think that it's possible that there are words of the Lord. So I think we should judge them just as you quoted from Corinthians, uh, Theodore, instead of just denying them outright. 
But equally, we shouldn't just accept them outright either. They need to be tested because they could be totally false. And again, I've told this example on the podcast before, but my mother received a word of the Lord um, from a woman that said that I'm getting a word from the Lord. She quoted Song of Solomon saying the winter is almost over and the spring is coming, i.e. your marriage, because my mom was separated at the time, is going to recover. No, full divorce. Um, never going to get back together, um, save for the Lord's great, great intervention here, although I think it would actually be biblically um, evil if I got back together at this point because of biblical law about remarriage um, in this particular context, but I digress. Um, false prophecy, right? Not a word of the Lord, and it needed to be tested. In this case, it was tested via being seeing if it happened, right? Because it was a prophecy with a with an end date, right? You're soon to be reunited, and she was not soon reunited, and so um, false word. And I think, as I've said before, we should take that kind of thing very seriously, even though, I mean, the most harm it had was making my mom sad or whatever, right? Um, but that kind of thing, the Lord detests because it actually makes true prophets harder to discern because now there's all these false prophets claiming things, right? And you have to test each one of them instead of just believing it when somebody says they're speaking from the Lord. And so I think that woman should be viciously reprimanded by her church if she even has one, um, or at least convicted by the Holy Spirit or by another Christian, because that is false prophecy. Uh, makes me think she's not a Christian, really. Um, Christians can sin, so I leave room for Christians to give false prophecy unknowingly, but you should stop it if you are. And with all, a lot of leadership in the Pentecostal movement talking about it can cause a lot of harm. I am thinking, putting a pause on the, on the Christian side of things, in Jehovah's Witnesses, for example, mm. all the damage that that caused to people, they became atheists after all these prophecies. They're like, oh, God is coming this year. Just kidding. It was a spiritual arrival. God is coming this year. Oh, sorry, sorry. It was spiritual. But made a lot of people atheists. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm happy that they're not longer Jehovah's Witnesses, but you caused a lot of harm to these people by making, by making things, by making these kind of prophetic statements that are not really from God. And you make, well, well, we really can't hurt God. We make him look like a fool to other people and yourself. So, and you can cause a lot of emotional harm to brothers and sisters. Yep. And I'd say more importantly, when it's just kind of, false prophecy right like saying your marriage is going to go back together or you should take that job or whatever the the word of the lord is you should be testing and discerning because it could affect your life personally right i think that when that happens to you usually because it's directly affecting you you are skeptical you, you do think about these things right because they are going to directly affect you i think they're more pernicious and dangerous when they don't directly affect you but they're from your church or from a movement you're following and they are false and they'll drag you and the church and money and resources and intention away from the gospel and into crazy land i'm thinking of current deliverance movements as well there's a if, if you're unaware there's a movement in pentecostalism that goes up and down over the years is really big in the 90s or really big in the 70s probably big in the 30s or whenever some of these movements were, were popping up it's big today again they go up and down called deliverance where ministries will go around led by a gaggle of different leaders, sometimes related, sometimes unrelated. Right now, they're not really related. Um, that say that everybody is oppressed by demons. You Christians in the crowd, of course the unbelievers are oppressed by demons. Um, and so you need to have the demons exercised from you. And then they'll go through seven-hour, essentially, seances, right, where they're playing worship music or they bring people up and they m mumble over them. They give fake tongues, which they, they pretend like is some magical language, do magical spells that nobody can understand, even though it's total nonsense. And the people convulse on the ground. They 
throw chairs in themselves. They do like WWE wrestling moves on themselves to get the demons out. Um, they are liars. They are charlatans because they're not actually exercising demons. Christians cannot be possessed by demons. And these charlatans will say, do not question us. Do not lay your hand on the Lord's anointed. Do not test the Lord. The reason Christianity is dying in the United States today is because they're not giving us money. They're not doing deliverance ministries. All that to say, these people give false prophecies. They do not give the proper gospel. Um, they, they focus on the Holy Spirit specifically to the detriment of Christ. In fact, some of their leaders have specifically said, there's like four leaders in the current deliverance movement. Um, one of them has specifically said that we focus too much on Jesus Christ. He's gone. It's all about the Holy Spirit now, um, which is a wee-oo, wee-oo, different gospel, different Christ, wee-oo, wee-oo, different spirit, right? False gospel, false prophets. And they will claim to have words from God. They'll claim to have seen angels. All of it is false. Test oh, them oh. and see for yourself. Montanism rebranded. They said the same thing in the early mm -hmm. 300s. So that's why I say. And these people claim to be apostles of Christ. Another big thing in the Pentecostal movement. Another gigantic warning sign, right? Oh, I, I digress. But Christians, we need to be discerning when you hear this. It's not an automatic, oh, this person says they have a word of the Lord. They're wrong. Test them, right? They're probably wrong because those are very rare. You know, words of the Lord, very rare, usually writing worthy, right? Not not like your grandma's going to recover from the cold. It's like, you know, the nation of Israel is going to fall. You know, you bring your family away to Canada because you're about to birth the Christ. That kind of thing, right? Not, you know, buy Kleenex next time at the store. Not that kind of thing. Um, but maybe, you know, maybe the Lord has seen fit to tell you to, to buy Kleenex at the store, but test it, right? Test to see if the prophecy came true. Did you actually get sick? Did it need the Kleenex? Um, is it consistent with the gospel? Is it consistent Christ? Is it consistent spirit as we see in the gospels, right? Test with the tools the Lord has given you because if you don't, you will be deceived because there are plenty of false prophets out there. So I think we should do away with words of the Lord entirely because they're almost always false. Yeah. Um, a, big, yeah. a big one that made Christianity just look like a bunch of clowns to atheists out there was when Trump lost the election yeah. and... I have a word from the Lord. All these lady Pentecostal pastors and also uh, fake prosperity preachers. I say, you know, Some dudes. In, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. I don't want to, don't want to be exclusive here. And uh, see, that's also how it's relevant. I would never interact with these people probably, but you see them in YouTube, you see them in TikTok. Mm -hmm. So even if you're uninvolved in the prosperity movement, you, will still you can still encounter these people on YouTube. And they were saying, Get a word from the Lord. Trump is the president. He will become president of the United States. Did that happen? No. I mean, unless he changed his name to Joe Biden and <laughs> did face change. <laughs> yeah, I got a body double. Yeah. <laughs> unless that happened, that false word that they uttered just made Christians look like a bunch of clowns, and that is really that is dishonoring God. I would say that's taking the name of the Lord in vain. That that is taking the name of the Lord in vain. So don't do that. If God talks to you, if God puts that in your mind, like, you know, okay, God told me, like, verbatim, Trump will be president. In this example, because it was popular back in the day. Uh, it's not, maybe God told me this. Oh, you know if God talked to you. Look at the prophet Jeremiah. We've mentioned it in other episodes. When he doesn't want to speak on behalf of God, he can't control himself. It's like, it burns inside of me. I have to speak the word of God. I don't want to do it, but God, you force me to speak your word. So again, if God talks to you and tells you a message, like this person will become president of the U.S. It's not maybe, it's 100% you know this is, 
Yahweh, the creator of heaven and earth, telling you this message. Yeah, if it's meant to be public. I would say there's room for words of God that came to you from the Holy Spirit that are real, that aren't to be proclaimed for the rooftops, and therefore yes. they don't come with a like, yes, burning yes. necessity. However, just like you should do with anything, if you're hearing it from somebody else, if you hear it yourself, you should test it and do the exact same test of a false prophet. Does this come to pass? Is it consistent with scripture? Is it the same Christ? Is it the same spirit? Is it the same gospel? If it's not, it's not from God. Another odd one that I, that I heard, I don't know if you feel it's related, but people seeing visions of heaven or seeing their relatives or seeing Jesus in heaven. Yeah. Uh, not only are there some serious scandals where the like child who said that they saw heaven for 10 seconds or 10 minutes or whatever, um, there's a couple of them out there is why I say that. Uh, they write a book about it. They make a bunch of money off the book. Maybe they make a movie. Heaven is for real. And I'm referencing that one. Um, they then come out and say, yeah, I was totally lying. Right. I was just like four years old and I wanted to do it. I was lying. Um, not only are there those people who are professed liars, I think we all agree, total lie. Um, but those who never say they lied um, or maybe they think they saw it. I think that just like private words from the Lord to you, yeah, if you are unsure if, if it actually happened or if it was a hallucination because you were out of, you know, hypoxic for 10 seconds, um, probably not something to share on the rooftops, right? Because of the whole risk of false prophecy and definitely something to test to see if it's consistent with the Bible. Mm -hmm. If it is totally extra biblical, who cares? Stop sharing it, right? <laughs> like, unless you are 100% positive, what kind of edification, positive impact are you having by saying you saw Mima in heaven and I saw Martin Luther and he said that he was wrong? Like, I, I've read <laughs> Pentecostal books and um, the, oh gosh, I'm already forgetting the name. I can't even remember the name. I would call it out by name because I don't like just like mealy mouth referencing things, but oh gosh, what is it called? like the journey or something. I don't know. Some guy said he had a dream uh, from God and that he wasn't 100% sure it was true. So he wasn't going to name some of the things he saw in the dream in case it was too spicy. But he said he saw some important church fathers in heaven, very discernible that he was talking about Martin Luther. And he was like, Martin Luther, or nameless man in heaven, was saying how he regretted all the stuff that he did and that if he had done it all over again, he wouldn't, he wouldn't have done what he did. Um, and that he had too much influence in the church. And I'm like, oh my gosh, okay, you have that kind of message and you aren't willing to say one that it's Martin Luther because you're not really sure that it's from Christ, but you have a, a message that would like read, undo the Protestant Reformation. Maybe you should be a little <laughs> bit more sure about the visions you get before you write a book, you know? Is it this one? Uh, it's not a journey to heaven. It's like a, oh gosh, I should really know the name. I'm sorry. I can't, I'm sorry. I can't reference the name. Maybe I'll put it in, in the description. It's not really important because you really shouldn't read it. Um, but <laughs> books to that ilk. Yeah. Not that. And, and we should all be clear, too, for the Pentecostal fringe people that are listening. It's not that these false prophets are necessarily not Christians, although I think the ones that have big platforms know better. They should be getting convicted, and they're not getting convicted. So false prophet. Um, but they may say a lot of true things. So this isn't to throw away all the things you've ever learned from that person. But if you realize they're a false prophet, you should run far, far away. doesn't mean you have to forget the fact that they taught you to read the Bible and so you've read the Bible and the Bible's true. You don't have to forget everything you've read in the book about the Martin Luther caller out guy. Like there's good stuff in that book, just like there's good stuff from a lot of these deliverance ministries. But when you discern that they're false prophets, know that there's some poison in the good soup. You know, there's lamb. Lamb's delicious. They cook this lamb for you. There's a lot of good meat on there. But one little bit of it is poison. Run! You don't want to get poisoned by the lamb, you'll die. So don't, so don't stay in a deliverance ministry when you know that the guy's a false prophet just because you had a great time there. Like, it's time to leave when you realize there's a false prophet. And same with the books. 
um, or the podcasts or the YouTubers or the ministries or the churches. Like when, when you realize somebody is a false prophet, um, it might not be your place to throw the shoes at them and call them out, but at least leave, you know, at least leave because they are poison. They're going to eat you like a wolf. Yes. I would say now, unless you want to add something theater on a more positive note, there are times in which God has indeed. Oh yeah. I forgot we're going to end on a positive <laughs> note. I'm railing over here. Oh my gosh. I'm glad I brought this up. Yeah. And I got a scripture. Oh, good. Okay. You want to read it out after them? Okay. God has, well, the cessation is out there. Sorry, you know, for walking over that minefield. God has revealed himself and pointed many non-Christians to him through visions. I would, I would say that that is truly a work of God. Where there are no Christians available, the, uh, what was his name? Mossab Hazan Youssef, a Palestinian man who wrote um, the book Son of Hamas. He was the son of the Hamas leader. Uh, Sheikh in what's Palestine, and after he was captured for trying to, you know, do a, in, he did an interview with CBN News, so you can reference the full interview there, and wrote in his book. After being captured, attempting to do a suicide uh, strike, a terrorist attack, while he was sitting in jail, I believe it was Malaysia, if I recall correctly from the book, he saw a vision of a man standing before him. And immediately he's felt completely undone. Okay, so okay, that's so immediately you should say, okay. Goat. <laughs> Come again? Not strangled. Not strangled. Okay, he's not being choked. <laughs> yes. Not so, a headlock. Yes. No <laughs> choking just, or physical attack involved for now. Okay, check number one. And then he felt undone. He felt like this was holy. Okay. Okay. Interesting. This is getting interesting. Mm -hmm. This could be an angel or it could be a demon. We'll see. And then he felt very unclean, evil, compared to this person that was standing in front of him. Sinful was, I believe, the word he used. And the, I don't remember the exact uh, dialogue, so he just referenced to that interview in CBN News with uh, Son of Hamas. He, the man said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So I'm like, whoa. Okay, that's that's direct quote from the Bible. Yep. It's not like something that Satan would do, you know, pointing people to Jesus. So okay, we're on a we're on a great path, and then immediately, Musab um, Hazam Yusuf he repented then, and said, you know, I want to follow him, I want to believe in him, to, in Jesus Christ, and has done ministry now in the Arab world and Muslim countries, pointing people to Jesus. So I would say in that example. He was reached in a place where probably no Christian would be able to access. And God used this man to reach countless others. Mm -hmm. So I would say, checks all the boxes, okay? The message is consistent with scripture. It's pointing people to Christ, not away from Jesus. And he felt remorse for his sin. He realized this is some, someone much infinitely greater than him. I was like, okay, he's doing God's work for now, I would say, so... And it's not the only one that you hear other Middle Eastern, a lot of Persian, uh, Iranian stories like that, even out of West Africa. And a lot of them don't end up writing books. Like that guy wrote a book, right? So you're like, uh, maybe they're all self-aggrandizing people that are just doing it for the money. Um, plenty of them, like we know personal people who have no no ministry built around it. That's just how they converted was being a vision, seeing a vision um, while the Muslim 
in a country in West Africa. Um, same, again, a lot of Iranians, Palestinians, Syrians, Turkish people, a lot of these areas report having conversions via dream. Um, as long as it's consistent, again, with the gospel, which which some of them are. I don't, I, I leave room for fake conversions, right? So I don't want to say that blanketly mm-hmm. just because it's in Iran and you saw a vision of Jesus, therefore it is a real vision of Jesus. Um, but when they are real visions of Jesus and they do cause you to convert and come to regular old Christianity, right? Not your own brand that mm-hmm. you are, has special things about it. Um, then yeah, I totally leave room for real visions from Christ, real prophecy in church too, by the way. Leave, I, I don't have examples for you, but uh, I, I leave room for there being real prophecy might in have church one. as well. Chair. Um, I was li- listening to messenger reading a message, um, and I don't know, and I don't know if it was R.C. Sprawl, Sprawl speaking of someone else or someone speaking of him or something like that. Nonetheless, it was the pastor. Um, it, he was preaching, and he just got like this word of knowledge or prophecy um, where, and he like directed uh, himself at this guy sitting in like the front row and basically told him his sins, I believe, or told him something related to sins or that he needs to repent uh, of this, this or this. And the guy um, in the front row, like right there, repented, accepted Jesus. Yeah, I think that's so, R.C. Sproul's testimony to how he came to Christ, right? Okay. Yeah. So there you go. So, oh, word of prophecy. Oh, okay. And yeah, yeah, and I think that's the kind of way God typically works with prophecy is that it has a direct impact. It, and in that case, like directly impacted R.C. Sproul to repentance. It was true, right? There were true. Um, the accusations that R.C. Sproul wasn't fake uh, and so therefore it was like God knowledge kind of things test of a prophet and it was consistent with the Bible the gospel as far as repent and believe in the good news that like come to regular old Christianity which is what R.C. Sproul did so um, there you go so prophecy does happen as yeah. witnessed there even by a more contemporary guy it's, it's a straight example from Corinthians because uh, Paul mentions like the use of prophecy is to well one of the uses is to convict mm-hmm. like an unbeliever who comes into the congregation and he's told his sins are all that he's done and he's convicted to repentance yeah so extremely biblical <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. yep any closing thoughts i know we've t- covered a lot and it's been kind of a long episode <clears throat> you got a quote so with regard to being safe uh with like testing uh, prophecy and discerning spirits, I think a really good summary verse is First Thessalonians five seventeen to twenty four, which says, "Pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil." Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. So four things there. Pray without ceasing. 
Never stop communing with God. Be connected. Draw, clo- draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Uh, cleanse your, uh, your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. That's James 4.8. Um, so basically, be close to God. Know the heart and will of God. Second, examine everything carefully. And we've already talked plenty about that. Abstain from every form of evil, i.e. don't um, let your conscience be seared. Um, don't, like, disconnect yourself kind of from the communion of God by, like, defiling mm-hmm. yourself or whatever. Um, and then fourth, faithful is he who calls you, and he will also bring it to pass. So trust in the Lord and do not waver in that trust of the Lord and trust in what God has already said. Go back to what he has said. Uh, check it. Examine. Um, yeah. That's a great way to end it. And that's why we have found our cause in serving the Lord Jesus Christ. I've been Michael Bay behind the machine and to our right has been Sebastian, the bookkeeper. And over the airwaves, it's been Peter under the PC. Hopefully you got some value out of that. I feel like we hit a lot of points, so there's got to be value somewhere in there for you. Uh, if you want to see all of our episodes, you got to go to foundcause.podbe.com and download them all for your listening pleasure. You can save them on your iPod, your iPod Nano. I don't know what you guys are listening to, you old people out there. Um, but that's just audio. If you want to see our beautiful faces, you're going to have to go to YouTube or Facebook, forward slash foundcause, and find us there. And our merch. And our merch. We don't sell merch, but uh, Sebastian's <laughs> repping merch. Uh, we've, we've seen this before, but yeah, let's get some merch. If you want merch, you know, hit us up in the comments and we will sell you. It's probably going to be expensive because we're going to have to hand make it, but uh, hit, yeah, you know, if you're willing to pay enough, we'll probably do it. Um, uh, it that, that's not a request from family. You know, we'll make it for free. $50 for a handmade wool <laughs> sweater. Something like that. Uh, until next time. And we're also on iTunes Spotify, by the way, in case you didn't know that. Um, normal podcast places. So until next time, we talk about something completely different. Thanks for watching and have a Merry Christmas. Bye. Bye.